Welcome to Raising OKC Kids, Conversations with Metro Family in Oklahoma City. I'm Erin Page, and today I'm joined by two powerhouses in the education industry, as well as spouses and parents, Danielle and Andre Dowdy. Welcome, you guys. Thank you. So the two of you are Metro Family Real Parents of the Metro in our January-February issue, and Andre was also a key resource for our October article on race equity. So I encourage all of our listeners to head to MetroFamilyMagazine.com to read both of those articles to get to know these two a little more. But today we're really going to dive deeper into two topics that you both have some very forward-thinking and impactful ideas about, virtual school and race equity in schools. So before we dive in, I want to tell our listeners a little bit more about the two of you. Andre has been in the education industry for 20 years earning his undergraduate degree from Langston University and teaching at the elementary and middle school levels. He earned a master's degree in educational leadership from the University of Central Oklahoma, served as an adjunct professor, and now works as a consultant and keynote speaker for educators around the nation about the topics we're covering today. Education's a second career for Danielle, who majored in journalism at Langston, and I love this part. Inspired by her husband and kids, Danielle went back to school to earn her master's degree in early childhood education from UCO, and she's taught second grade in Edmond for the past seven years. Things look a little bit different this year, um, as Danielle has really had double the workload on an A-B schedule, meaning she's creating in-person and virtual lessons both. The couple has two kids, a son and daughter, both in high school. So before we jump into these two topics today, I want to start with a question I'm asking lots of parents right now. How is your family faring during this pandemic as you're helping your kids navigate virtual school, Andre as you're working from home, and Danielle as your workload has increased exponentially? And then also, where are you guys finding hope right now? How are we faring? How are you faring, Danielle? Our family is faring quite well, actually. Both of our kids are um, at home learning. I'm the only one that goes out the house. With them. <laughs> um, they've adjusted well. They know the risks that are involved with this pandemic. And so they have had the choice to either go back in person or to stay at home and learn. And they both chose to stay at home and learn. And they're knocking it out. And uh, as for me, I'm just adjusting. I'm constantly adjusting. So uh, my word for this year is um, grace. And another word is flexibility. <laughs> yeah. Uh, ditto everything Danielle just said. Uh, our kids are really resilient. Mm -hmm. Like they, they go with the punches really well. And that was one of the things we asked them, hey, what, which way do you want to go in person or virtual? And, uh, the consensus was virtual. And then, you know, there was a learning curve there as well. But at the same time, they've, they've adjusted and they're rocking and rolling. Uh, I've got one son who, well, we've got a son who, who <laughs> I said, I, <laughs> we've got a son. Yeah, you better include Danielle on that. There. <laughs> uh, hashtag, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Yeah, um, where he's now adjusting. I mean, both of them are adjusting to self-management. And now he's working a job during some times of the hours that he would normally not get those opportunities to work. And so they've adjusted quite well. 
and uh, we're looking forward to the second semester. Uh, her word for this year has been grace. Mine has been pivot. Mm -hmm. And that's just something that we are constantly doing is pivoting and, and providing that space and that grace. Which immediately makes me think of the Friends episode about pivot, where they're yelling the word pivot. Have you seen the episode? Of course, he has. Not. You, you I used to watch it, but I can't. Andre, I'm sending it to you after this. <laughs> that, is, that is what it makes me think of immediately. But you're right, like we're all pivoting. Yeah. I know that Danielle, uh, you and I talked about the idea of grace and space giving people grace, giving ourselves grace, and giving people space to figure out how to navigate this pandemic. Um, you guys are, you're just a beautiful example of that. And the way that you've included your kids in these real life conversations and allowing them to be part of the decision-making process, uh, it's just, it's been really inspirational for me to get to hear how you guys are managing all of this. Yeah, and um, then at the same time, like I think of it, they are our students, they are our kids, but like we've got to prep them for something that's never happened before. This has never happened before. So rather than us just telling you, this is what you need to do because I'm your mom, I'm your dad. It's like, please do your research too. You know, you've got the internet, you do the research. Let's all sit at the table and let's see what we come up with. And a lot of the pros and the cons were there but at the same time, since they did the research, they had the agency to, to provide to us and persuade us one way or the other. And so I love that. I'm really grateful that we do have those conversations like that at the table. That's so great. Um, so talking about virtual school, which is what both of your kids are doing, and I know that term brings out a lot of emotions for a lot of people right now. But again, one of the thing that really, things that really strikes me about the two of you is that you can find the silver lining in any situation. And virtual schooling, I think, has been no different. You both see having the option and more widespread understanding and use of virtual school as a big benefit, not just during the pandemic, but for the long-term future of education in our state. So obviously virtual school is not perfect, but Danielle, as a teacher, what have been the biggest benefits for you and your colleagues, for your students, and for your students' parents when it comes to virtual school? Um, what came to the top of mind is parents are actually, the parents who are involved, um, seriously involved in their uh, child's education, they get to see how their child learns. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> And not to say it's a bad thing, but they get to actually see, you know, what occurs when they are, when the child is in the classroom. Um, of course, their behaviors will probably diff be different um, from home and school, but they get to, the parents get to see the process of how their child, how their child thinks. Um, one of the things I did um, probably about the fourth or fifth week of school when we got into the groove of everything is to let the parents know. I could tell that the parents were doing their child's work for them as they were submitting it. <laughs> Cheaters! <laughs> Not, <laughs> I've been guilty of that a few times. I'm sorry. Uh, no judgment. No judgment. No judgment. But, you know, I told them, I said, there's a big difference in what I see um, your child doing at school based on what they turn in. So, I want your child to make mistakes. 
Mistakes are how we learn. Mistakes are life's biggest teacher. Don't do your child's work for them. You need to see how they're thinking. And you can guide them, but don't do the work for them. Yeah. And a lot of parents really appreciated that. <laughs> it's just funny that, you know, that some of them thought, oh, she can't tell them. <laughs> the teacher can always tell. They always, always know. Always. Always. <laughs> so just, um, I, I'm happy for parents to be able to see what their child is uh, doing and how their child is thinking. So I think this uh, virtual Virtual learning, I think it'll be a good benefit overall for the future because um, the way that our world is progressing, everything is through technology. Technology is advancing and advancing. So students are actually getting a real life skill mm -hmm. of, of things that are going to happen in the future. So I'm excited to see where it's going. I know everybody's not on board with uh, virtual learning, but I hope that that option stays there um, once every, you know, the pandemic is over because a lot of children do benefit from um, learning at home, I should say. Um, it's just a different setting. Just like there are different learning styles, everybody's not built to uh, learn inside of the classroom. So um, I'm glad that that option is available. Mm -hmm. I, I can you was saying that I was thinking to myself, imagine that one parent just typing like, ooh, yeah, this kid is going to matriculation. I don't care if this is a second grade teacher. Like, I can see that happening. Oh, and then pushing enter. Like, said, oh, my baby ate that. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah, there have been times that <laughs> I'm thinking of like helping my pre-K kiddo with his, you know, has to take it words that start with O and my husband's trying to help him. I'm like, he doesn't know that word and none of his friends are going to know that word. Like, let him come up with the word. Yeah. I love it. Teachers, yeah. We can't fool the teachers. They always know. So, Andre, kind of on the flip side of this, as you've been working from home, you have really been helping your two kids who are a senior and a freshman in high school learn to self-manage their virtual school. What have been the biggest benefits that you've seen as a dad and maybe some unexpected positives that have come out of this experience for your kids? Oh yeah, great question. So the senior, this was like perfect for him um, because there's no senioritis with this. You no longer have to wait an entire hour and then go to another class and wait an entire hour. He's knocking out his work two hours easy. And so now he has more flexibility to go to work, to do jobs, and not get into that slump of senioritis. Um, our freshman, she struggled a little bit just because it was a learning curve. She didn't know what high school looked like, let alone what high school looks like virtually. Uh, and then she's in choir. And so once uh, on, on the A days, she would have to go to class for one time. And so she's going to class on a Monday at 9 o'clock and then going to class on a Tuesday. And so she, she juggled a little, trying to kind of get used to what, what does high school look like for her? You know, you've seen it on all the TV shows and all of the, the Nickelodeon shows, but this was, it was a little struggle for her. Um, she picked it up on it, and now she soars. Both of them have been soaring great. And so I'm, I'm really, really proud of them uh, soaring in, in their own way. Uh, I, yeah. 
I'm, I'm really excited that, and not just them, there are a lot of parents who didn't think that their kids actually could do the homeschool or the online learning. And now they're seeing like, this is an actual option for next year. Like, yeah, if, if I do get sick or if somebody else gets sick or if this school environment just isn't for them, kind of like what Danielle said, where there are some settings where the kids can just really rock at home, I, I could see a lot of the parents now having this as an option versus the only option being you got to be at school. And then I'm grateful for all of the school districts who are assigning teachers those opportunities to teach online as well. And so it's not just a all of nothing, you do this busy work, get an A, get a grade, whatever. But now you actually have teachers saying, you know, I actually like this online thing a little better myself. I don't mind being in front of a camera and Zooming or Google Meeting or Microsoft Teaming, anybody. And so I'm loving just to see how, once again, we're educators, we, we are superheroes. We can adjust well. And, and they have been adjusting quite well. Yes, they have. Like, that's what is just incredible to me about this whole situation is watching the teachers in my life and in my kids' lives mm -hmm. just continue to step up. And I, I mean, I can only imagine how exhausting and draining it is for, for those of you who are in this space. Um, and so I just, I think it's so important as we're going into this next semester. Um, I mean, as parents, we've got to support our teachers. We've got to figure out the ways that we can come alongside you and, and help not only our kids, but help, help those of you in the education industry feel supported, feel cared for. Um, and, and Andre, I love that you talked about virtual school from the teacher perspective. There are some teachers who might prefer this going forward. So as we continue to navigate this pandemic, but looking even further beyond, because it's going to end someday, right? <laughs> we, how do you see these virtual school options <laughs> continuing to grow and evolve? And what do you think that evolution means for the future of public education in Oklahoma? Yeah, I've talked to a few superintendents outside of the state of Oklahoma, and they have been they have been surprised at how easy the students navigated towards it. Like they were expecting, you know, students to be like, ah, no, nah, I really don't want this thing. But they have been shocked that there are students who actually prefer this. Mm -hmm. And so if we are really teaching for students and we are really trying to get the best out of them, then we got to put them in the right conditions to be their best. And the right conditions may not be at school. The right conditions just may be at home in a learning online environment. And so these are some things that now superintendents and district leaders and, and shareholders and stakeholders and even the community may need to rethink what does school actually look like post this pandemic, post COVID. Mm -hmm. you know, uh, just like we were sharing earlier, there are some teachers who are in their bag online. Like they, they are the Michael Jordan, they are the Serena Williams online. But you put them in front of students, maybe the classroom management isn't there, or maybe they don't have all the resources where they can look at their notes and teach maybe i mean there maybe it could be some physical issues um we have an aunt who uh, who her asthma is really bad 
And so perhaps post pandemic, she may be better situated online still teaching the students versus being out of school, trying to recover, trying to do all those things. And so these are all the things that I'm loving school districts really thinking about. And I'm, I encourage your listeners to bring these, these conversations up, like really have those conversations with the teachers, with the administrators, with the principals in that same way. Like, what are the options for next year? Are we going to still keep this online thing going because my child is liking it? Yeah, absolutely. And it seems to me like it's just another beneficial way to continue to individualize the educational experience for kids. Um, So switching gears now, I love that when we were talking for the Real Parents article, I asked you both what you're proudest of the other for in your careers. And you each talked about the other's work in advocating for and educating others about race equity. So we're coming up on Martin Luther King Jr. Day and Black History Month, which of course are important times to focus on Black history, but how can we as parents, as educators, do a better job of bringing Black and Indigenous history to the forefront all year long? What are some of the ways that you have each accomplished this in your own classrooms? Uh, I, I start out from day one um, just introducing different cultures uh, to my students because I want them to see that there's just not one, like there's no one way to solve a problem. There's not one race that is the superior one that is, you know, dominating everything. We want to highlight uh, people from different cultures and show that different cultures are adding value Mm -hmm. to our society. So, I remember our my um, introduction video uh, for my students to know that they were in my classroom. Um, I, ha- I held out held up a book um, called Hair Love, and I said we're going to be reading this book inside of my classroom. And from the very beginning, when I saw my students on day one, they were like, "Are we going to read Hair Love today?" And they asked me every day until I read that book. They were like, "Hey, there it is," you know. So they're they want to know more. They, mm-hmm. they want that information. They want that knowledge. So as long as you are incorporating um, different cultures inside of the books that you're reading, inside of shows that you're watching, um, just as long as they see a diverse cast of, of characters and people, um, I think that's a, just, just a great starting point. Mm-hmm. And if you've never heard of Hair Love, that is a book worth getting. It talks about a little uh, black girl and her hair is curly and it's Afro-y and it's phenomenal. And didn't it win an award? I think it won an Oscar for best documentary, best animated documentary or something. It's by Matthew Cherry. Yeah. Yeah, he's done a lot of great work. That's so good. And you're right that books in our kids' classrooms carry a lot more weight than we might think. And I I love that you've started your school year off that way, Danielle. Um, I had a really cool experience with my third graders teacher this year who was new to our school. And within the first couple of weeks of school, she said, you know, our, our classroom library is not very diverse. So she sent out a list to all the parents and said, here are some books that I would really like to incorporate into our classroom this year because 
I want the books in our classroom to, to showcase the kids in our classroom. And so she set that from, from day one, that this is what our classroom was going to be like this year. And, um, I think for my daughter, for all the kids in their class, they, it was like this breath of fresh air that we're going to get to see ourselves represented in the books in our classroom. And that just, I think set the whole class up for a really great year of understanding that this is going to be part of our classroom culture and this is going to be important to all of us. So and that's I love that. acknowledging, hey, there's a there's a lack of diversity in these books. Mm-hmm. That, I mean, that is a crucial step. Yeah. So kudos to her for just even recognizing and acknowledging that. Absolutely. And then yes. I think of it from like an educator. Anytime I walk inside of an elementary school room or classroom, I I look around to see, are there any images that look like me? And if I'm doing it, I know the students are doing it. No matter what race, color, ethnicity, whatever. Uh, The second thing I do, I look at the library and I look to see if there are more protagonists that are animals than they are people of color. Hmm. And if not, then let's have a conversation. Because there's a lot of research that shows that there are more protagonists that are animals in these picture books than they actually are of uh, students of color or people of color in books. And so if your library has a lot more of where the wild things are and not enough where hair love is, let's have a conversation. Mm -hmm. Get you some of the books. We can get you some of the resources. We'll give you a list of it. Then you can go to Amazon, put it on your wish list and go from there. <laughs> it's such a good place to start. And I know, Danielle, that it's been important to you to um, not just to incorporate books with characters of color, but to make sure that you have Black authors represented in your classroom as well. I know you've done some really great work to teach history from an Indigenous and from a Black perspective. And, um, kind of, and, and I think what can be hard about that sometimes is you think about parents, you think about us and what the way we learned history. And so sometimes it's, it's almost more about bringing those parents along with you in the education of this is how we need to teach history now. Mm-hmm. And history, I mean, history is the truth. You can't change it. You can, o- you can only update your actions. So, you know, students are, they, they are interested in critical literacy. So they want to know more. They want to know yeah. why. Yeah. And I mean, there's a way, you know, development appropriate way that you can introduce that and teach these things to children so that's great you guys are you're just doing such great and inspirational work um so in sharing your own culture and heritage with your students and then another piece of this that's so important that you guys do so well is giving your students the opportunity to share their culture and their heritage but what does that look like long-term? What kind of long-term benefit does this provide to students of all colors? Mm-hmm. So think of it this way. Um, as we know, we know about Rosa Parks, right? And we know that Rosa Parks uh, sat on the bus and, and, and we're celebrating her and how she said, I just wanted to go home. I wasn't trying to start anything. I just had a long day, wanted to get off my feet, sat on this bus, you know, did that thing. But there was another person, a 15-year-old, 
who actually did that first. Let me find her name really quick. I want to say Claudette Coleman. And so Claudette Coleman was a 15-year-old who did the same thing. But she did it way before Rosa. Hmm. And a lot of people don't know about Claudette Coleman. That story isn't told. And so when we're talking about celebrating cultures, that now we can have that conversation with our class, of course, or age appropriate or grade level appropriate, and talk about how whatever age you are, you can stand up for right too. You don't have to wait to be Rosa's age, even though she was only 29 and holding. <laughs> you know, you, you can be a 15-year-old Claudette, and if you see something that is not right, you can stand up or sit down, just like she did. And that only happens when you have the conversations uh, with diversity. I am sure that in our Latinx uh, family members, there's somebody who stood up for justice just like that. Go ask your grandparents, go ask your mom. Was there somebody who, who stood up for, for right and for truth, just like Claudia, just like Rosa? And so this becomes a year long thing mm -hmm. just because of that. Because now you have everybody coming with their stories that their parents, their grandparents told them about the truth. And like Danielle said, just so beautifully, um, that history is the truth. You can't hide it. Mm -hmm. you, you can try as long as you want, but that truth will come out because there are just too many books that tell the truth. Mm -hmm. And so I'm so excited that, that our cultures, uh, and then that's another thing. Once when you start to share these stories, you realize that my struggle looks like your struggle. Yes. Mm -hmm. And your struggle looks like somebody else's struggle. It may be in some different uh, circumstances, but it's the same struggle. Uh, to hear a young teacher finally get like that light bulb moment to realize that the Holocaust was equally or the same or more than uh, the United States slavery. For them to finally get that, that light bulb of, wait a minute, what? I'm like, yeah, there were a lot of people who died in the American slavery. You think 400 years of oppression and slavery and injustice, there's been a lot of deaths. And so for them to make that connection of like the Holocaust Museum in DC with the room of shoes, mm -hmm. and then for them to equate that to our America hasn't been great for everybody. Now we, we have a conversation. Now we have empathy. Now we have understanding. Now you respect my culture and how I live and how I may disagree with you about some things. Now we are all growing. Now imagine that same student as an adult. Mm. That's what we're going for. We're yeah. going for changing mindsets and not thinking of just one way is always the right way now or one race is superior than another. Mm -hmm. And that, you're right that that, teaching that understanding and empathy at especially the elementary age that makes that makes a lifelong difference for these kids um danielle what is it like for you to to have that opportunity to share who you are with your students and then to see them feel comfortable sharing who they are back with you mm -hmm. it's just that that's the answer they are so excited when i share any kind of story if I preface my story with when I was a little girl, they lean in. Because <laughs> <laughs> they make that connection like, oh, yeah, Miss Daddy, she was a little girl. And, you know, I'm eight years old, you know. So 
when I share my stories, that gives them freedom. Hands go up. That happened to me too. Mm -hmm. uh-uh, you know, so hey, I'm a storyteller, and they they eat it up. And so yeah. it helps them to share more about their story. Mm -hmm. And then yeah. they relate. Think about it. Mm -hmm. The same way our parents and grandparents sat us at the kitchen table and we watched them cook and then we all ate together. There's abuelas who did the exact same thing and are still doing the exact same thing. Mm -hmm. And they're teaching their children how to cook around a kitchen table. And then there are other many, so many others who are doing this exact same thing. You put it together once again, you realize we're not really as different as we think. Mm-hmm. That emotional connection is, is so powerful for kids and for adults too. So we know parents are overloaded right now and teachers are extremely overloaded. So as we go into this new year, what's the one piece of advice you would leave with parents when it comes to their kids' educations in 2021? Andre, you wanna go first? The one piece of advice that I'd give, you said parents? give to parents about their kids' educations this year? Okay. Be mindful of the times. Mm -hmm. um, being mindful of the time we are in. Be mindful of all of the students that you see, including your students. And then being mindful of the teachers because those teachers are teaching our students and are teaching our kids. And we want or we try to get our, our you know we want our students to be right back how everything used to be before the pandemic and it may not be that easy mm -hmm. and so That's just good. being mindful that chances are once when this pandemic goes away we are not going to be right back to normal it's mm -hmm. just not going to happen normal might be three years from now and being mindful of that uh, like right now a lot of the universities and colleges are saying, you don't need an SAT or a, a ACT test score to get into our school. You can just get in. And they're mindful of it now. Mm -hmm. But next year at this time, if the pandemic goes away or two years from now, like, are you going to say, no, those kids, those kids' test scores are really low. They're not accepted into our school because X, Y, and Z. Like being mindful of all of that, being mindful of the students who may have experienced trauma with loved ones dying of COVID. And then two years from now, they've never got resources, support strategies to deal with it. And they are still dealing with that trauma two years from now. Are we gonna be mindful of, of things like that? So that's what I'm saying for, for our parents. They may not show, the students may not show how this pandemic has affected them. It may be two years, three years later. And just being mindful of that. that that's really good. There, there are going to be some long-lasting effects, and, and we need to move forward with that in mind. Danielle, what about you? What's the one piece of advice you have for parents about their kids' educations this year? Okay, so when we went to uh, remote learning very quickly a couple of weeks ago, I had a parent email me immediately and she was frantic. She said, I'm scared that my child is going to fail. Mm. And so I had to respond to her these two words, stop, breathe. 
It is going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Your child is not going to fail. I won't let your child fail. And obviously, you're not going to let your child fail. Mm-hmm. So, we've got this. It looks different. It's okay. Children are capable. Mm-hmm. Let your child show their capability. It's going to be okay. We're all in this together. We're yeah. all doing this together. Mm-hmm. Nobody's going to fail. So, I'm going to tell parents, stop and that is so good. Danielle, I feel every time I talk to you, I feel like you're giving me a personal therapy session. <laughs> I need, I needed to hear that too. I mean, and you know, I, I think that you're just, you're so thoughtful and intentional about the way that you interact with your students, parents, and I don't even have a kid in your class, but I feel, I feel what you're saying. And I, um, I just really appreciate I know in our conversation for the article you talked about, nobody's behind, you know, teachers are working to make sure your kids are, are where they need to be and, and nobody's going to be behind. I love, I'm, I'm going to stop and breathe the next time I feel stressed about virtual school. <laughs> so thank you guys. That was such good wisdom to leave parents with as we. I'm right there with you. I'm listening to, to Danielle. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that is I love it. Thank you guys so much for your time today. Um, thank you for all your wonderful work in educating our children and in helping other educators to continue to learn and grow for the betterment of really of our whole community. Our listeners, you can learn more about the Dowdy family in our January-February issue and their work in race equity in our October 2020 issue by heading to metrofamilymagazine.com. Thanks everyone for watching. Join us next time on Raising OKC Kids.